Hey everyone, Jill Gavargazian here, also known as Jill Six. You're listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes. I wanted to congratulate Andy and Mitch on their 100th episode. That's an incredible accomplishment. You both and your podcast has a very special place in my heart because I love you guys and you let me talk about my favorite film ever, Anaconda. And I feel like the love for the film was mutual between us all. So congratulations again, and I can't wait to come back on the show to talk about Anaconda 3, Offspring. Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 101 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. So here we are, century number two. Yeah, yeah, that's us over that hill now, Mitch. Plain sailing all the way down now. Absolutely, absolutely. How have you been since all of the excitement of Friday's live show? Do you know what? I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've been fucking exhausted. Same, I must say. And I don't normally get this after our regular live shows. No, 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 not at all. I think it was the stress of trying something new and trying to figure it all out. Yeah, but like as soon as we signed off on Friday, I think me and you had a little debrief. And then I was just like, right, I'm fucking, I'm done, I'm done in. And uh, yeah, that's kind of persisted through Saturday, and into today I'm feeling I just I, I just feel done in. Yeah, like I do want to take a minute. Obviously, we'll get to it a little bit more when we get to the feedback section. But big thank you to everybody that did join us for episode 100 on the Podbean app on Friday. Thanks for your patience. It was obviously a little bit rough around the edges, but I think it pretty much worked like we hoped it was gonna. I think it was okay uh, and uh, it'll certainly all come out in the wash when I edit it to release it as a main episode. Yeah and that will be appearing in your feeds at some point so if you did miss out on Friday don't worry you will get a chance to catch up and if you did enjoy the live thing and the Podbean app stuff we do have some kind of loose plans to pick that up again in the near future so uh, stay tuned for that. (laughs) Yeah I think the plan will be this time to do a watch along considering that we probably weren't clear enough that that's not what Friday was and a bunch of people had the film queued up and ready to go. Yeah we will do one of those just kind of as penance for uh, not making that entirely clear <laughs> but uh yeah we did have a great time hopefully you guys did as well aside from that what have you been watching this week um to be honest mitch it's been a fairly quiet one for me i've just been trying to get my head down and do a bit of writing to be honest um, Good. i did dig into shudder a little bit and i started watching eli roth's history a horror documentary oh yeah i kind of had one eye on this i ran out of time for it this week but yeah it's on my list how are you finding it it's okay so far there's nothing revelatory or kind of surprising about it in any way, shape or form. It's just interesting to see a bunch of people involved in the films that they're talking about on there, talking about their experiences and their relationship with things like uh, Linda Blair popping up on there and Tony Todd popping up on there and Quentin Tarantino appearing every now and again to talk about horror. It's interesting from that perspective, but it's all very surface and with the exception actually of uh, a fair whack about the original Maniac. Okay. But yeah, so far it's fine. It's entertaining enough to pass the time. I, I did watch Curse Films as well. Did you? Okay, have you seen it all? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. I, I have to kind of agree with you. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I can kind of talk about the last two episodes of that now because I did watch the episodes in The Crow and uh, the Twilight Zone movie of Curse Films this week. Uh-huh. 
I think that there is no one episode of this that works all the way. Right, sure. I think that a couple of them come close. Uh, with the Crow episode, I think that the stuff that they did about the death of Brandon Lee was really interesting. I think that it probably spent a little bit too much time, in my opinion, on the death of Bruce Lee. <laughs> sure. Which um, I think is absolutely a story that's worth telling, but again, not necessarily here, which seems to be a criticism that I level at it like once per episode. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was pretty interesting. I learned some things about that that I didn't know. And also, again, you know, kind of talking about how they had to finish the film and kind of the political side of that. Those kind of things are what interests me about this kind of thing yeah yeah and those stories i think it was good to see those illuminated the twilight zone movie one uh the closer i think at a fitting end to the series definitely the the most kind of dramatic and i think probably the best told one yeah i would agree i thought it was a trifle unnecessary to see the actual footage of the helicopter crash that killed vic morrow and those two kids i completely agree i found that quite jarring i think it probably was a little bit heavy-handed, a little bit blunt force for purpose. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, like the way that it actually examined it and talking about the lawsuit afterwards and kind of seeing the footage of John Landis in court and all that kind of thing was really interesting. My main gripe with that one was that obviously for the kind of films that they make it might come as a surprise to some people that trauma have a reputation for being very diligent about onset safety and things like that i think a big part of that though and it's something they do say in the show is that trauma is such a small company that any big lawsuit could effectively destroy them end them yeah and i think that there's a, a reasonably protracted i would say as a percentage of the overall runtime of this episode i think that there's a reasonably protracted bit about trauma and about lloyd kaufman I have no problem with that in the sense that I found that segment quite interesting and I think that Lloyd Kaufman's a very watchable guy and hearing them talk about this and seeing that kind of footage was quite interesting to me but I also don't think that it needed to occupy this much real estate in an episode that wasn't about that. Do you know what I thought was really interesting actually was uh, the lasting impact that that accident has had on a lot of the people that worked on the Twilight Zone movie? Absolutely. Like I say, I think that its examination of that actual incident was really well done. With yeah. the exception, like you say, of possibly leaning a little too hard on shock value by showing you the actual footage. They had a big bit about Kane Hodder as well, who obviously had his own incident off the back of a, a stunt gone wrong. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't know what that was there for, aside from stuntman colour. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I say, all, all these things feel like a reach in, in the kind of relevance department. And I think that that's my principal problem overall with Cursed Films. I think that stories worth telling, not necessarily always particularly effectively told. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually stayed with Shudder this week and also checked out The Furies. Oh, no, I've seen this. Uh, we got you a, have? Yeah, we got a screener of this round about Fright Fest time. Yeah, because it did, it did screen there, and um, it has ultimately been picked up by uh, Shudder. So obviously this one, a story about two friends who are kind of knocked out and then wake up in the woods, and they're being hunted by these mysterious figures. As it turns out, it's for the entertainment of, like, rich elite. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a cross between that film Happy Hunting and Hostel. Yeah. Now, as I recall, I don't think that you were too hot on this one. Is that right? That is correct. I thought there was some pretty cool, pretty nasty gore effects in there, but I thought it was all surface and it goes nowhere and really for me it was just a very flat experience if you took those gags out there's nothing to it. Yeah I kind of agree, I think that without saying too much about it, I think that there's a face cleaving incident. Oh there is yeah. yeah, That is is absolutely spectacular and I really winced at it and there's a couple more of those. But I agree with you, I think that the story doesn't really have anywhere to go I feel like it kind of toys with the idea of wanting to kind of play around with your allegiances but it doesn't really do it no, and no, it doesn't know how it is. I don't think so either, and I think that actually beyond what are very impressive kind of gore and practical effects, it doesn't really seem that interested in doing anything else. I think that there's almost like a tangible belief that that would be enough. <laughs> And, and that know, bothers me. It didn't, it didn't do much for me. There's a time and a place for that, and there are films where that is enough. Mm-hmm. But I, in this case, I, I feel like it was too po-faced 
for that to be the case. Do you know what I mean? Where they'd approached it with that cynicism, like, we're going to make a gory film, but that's really all we have going for it is gore. The film has aspirations beyond that, but doesn't have the, the kind of balls to carry it off properly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. I found this pretty flat, I must admit. I did, however, also head to Amazon Prime this week and rewatch something that played at festivals a couple of years ago. When I saw it at Fright Fest, I think it was either in 2016 or 2017, it played under the name Slumlord. Right. Um, has since been retitled 13 Cameras and then retitled again to The Landlord, <laughs> uh, which is what it's uh, currently showing on Amazon Prime in the UK, certainly, under... Okay, so what's this? So what you have with this is, and I don't know necessarily what it was that kind of made me want to seek it out and watch it again this week, but I just saw it there and I was like, I remember this being all right. Let's just take a look. So what you have here is a couple, uh, a man and his pregnant wife, who are pregnant partner, who move into a new home that they are renting from an incredibly one-dimensionally creepy and villainous landlord. <laughs> I mean, the film has no interest in... The film demystifies the landlord as the villain immediately by calling the film the landlord and also opening with him buying multiple fiber-optic cameras to stash into a home that you immediately see him renting to a young couple. <laughs> so, um, not under any kind of illusions in that way. It's a little bit like a cross between that film Hangman and Sleep Tight. All right, okay. But it's not as good as either of those two films. Now, what I think is the problem with this is... And I've, this film does some pretty interesting stuff. I think that some of the character stuff between the guy and his partner, there's an infidelity kind of B story to it where he's kind of uh, he's having an affair with his assistant. Right. Um, which, again, is established quite quickly. But the interesting thing about this is that the villain, like I say, is the landlord character. And the centerpiece and the main driver for the drama in the film is what he does, kind of his plans for them. But... He's not a compelling villain. The performance is pretty good. Okay. Like, the guy, he, he communicates in a series of, like, monosyllabic responses and just grunts, and he's perpetually shiny. The film cuts to him kind of, like, just out of shot, but transparently wanking, like, maybe six times. Oh, excellent. And it's like, it's always, it's like, if they're, if the couple are, like, getting on in the kitchen, or if she's in the shower or something like that, and it always cuts back, and it's like, I get it, this guy is gross, I'm supposed to hate him, but also, because it doesn't really do that much stuff beyond the fact that he's obviously a perv and apparently has always just run a marathon, Yeah, it doesn't really expand him beyond that, which is not interesting. But the annoying thing to me is that if you take that element out of it, this film functions perfectly well as a straight family drama. <laughs> Like, the thing about her kind of being suspicious and the net closing on him and his affair and his duplicitous ways and the spurned assistant turning a little bit psycho on him and things like that is by far the most interesting strand in this film. And it's annoying that it's underdeveloped in the name of so much B-grade horror. Going from what you're saying, Mitch, taking the landlord out, that sounds like it could be a smoky thriller. Just want to quickly say, it's good to hear of a couple in a film who have a strong and active sex life and also, Mitch, getting on, really? Yeah, I couldn't think of a good euphemism. Fucking. Well, they weren't really. And I didn't want to say canoodling. Right, okay, right. <laughs> However, speaking of smoky thrillers... I'm not even going to waste my time putting the theme on here. We had a thing on Friday, so we didn't watch a smoky thriller. Yes, if you wonder why there is not a smoky thriller for Smoky Thriller Friday this week, you haven't really been paying attention. That's right, yes, because at the time that we would normally be watching a smoky thriller, we were in fact live and talking to you guys, so... Surely that's better. Yeah, you kind of hope so, but fear not, smoky thriller enthusiasts. Normal service <laughs> will resume this Friday. You, me and Jackie will be once again congregating round the Zoom mics for another round of Smoky Thriller Fridays. Yep, it's book 10, it's in the diary. It's happening, it's happening. Moving on. Yeah! Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do! What have they been saying? 
Feedback time and loads of people getting in touch this week and a lot of people being really, really lovely about the fact that we, of course, hit 100 episodes this week. We did a live one on Friday. We got a lot of really nice messages after it, but we did have a conversation about this and decided it would just be a little bit self-aggrandizing to read them all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say collectively, just generally a big thank you to everyone who got in touch and uh, basically kind of had some nice things to say about what we did on Friday night because it was a little bit risky and it was a little bit new. We weren't sure how you guys were going to respond to it and all that kind of thing. And it did seem to go pretty well. And a lot of you got in touch and told us that you were watching the film in advance, which uh, <laughs> we really appreciated. We had Dave Shakes getting in touch saying he was going to be watching it with his son. Yeah, 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 and that kind of panned out a little bit in increasingly bizarre ways over the chat during the actual episode recording. It certainly did. Also, you guys are really funny. Oh my god. Like, I mean, it seemed like you guys were having as much fun talking to each other as you were listening to us, which is kind of part of the fun. Yeah, that, that was the, my biggest takeaway from what we did on Friday, actually, was while we were talking and doing the stuff that we would normally be doing, because for anyone who doesn't know, we did it very much kind of like a live show in so much as it was live, and it took the kind overall format of a live show, mm-hmm. but it played very much like an episode. Absolutely. But it was really cool to see you guys interacting kind of in the moment, and to everybody that called in as well. A couple of other people saying that they were watching the film in advance, Mercer, Magic Mercer on Twitter, just saying settling down to watch Prom Night 2. That was how he was spending his Thursday evening. Ooh. Scare Bear, Scare mm-hmm. 158 Steve got in touch to say just watched the dodgy VHS YouTube copy of Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. <laughs> Ready for tonight's Strong Violent PC Live, and I can't wait to hear the comments. Michael Ironside, classic horror movie refs, and some great corny dialogue. We'll try to join in, but be listening on my phone. Yeah, Michael Ironside, the Turbo Kid guy. <laughs> Fuck up. New person alert, Pierre-Adrian Wadert. Uh, getting in touch, just saying, going to give it a go. So uh, I was checking the film out again just in advance of the show, so thanks for that. Excellent. Gorehound, that zombie's Lou getting in touch to say, a right fucking mare of a day, I hope it got better. Uh, but time for some strong, violent PC revision before tomorrow's live episode. Settling down to watch Prom Night 2 on Amazon Prime. And uh, yeah, did join us at the time as well. Again, chipping in with some funny stuff. Canel as well, getting a rewatch in. As well as uh, Laura, buying an LV, who also called in uh, on Friday night. Good to hear from you as well. First watch here. Have to finish it today, but liking it can see why it's a choice. Andy, i got to say, whatever else, it was a great choice for the format. I'm happy to hear that. I'm very happy to hear that. Sandy Gautra at Sandy75Mars getting in touch to say, I know it's not the greatest. Sandy, I have to disagree. Uh, <laughs> but I love it's it. not a great start, but carry on. <laughs> you can't go wrong with a bit of Ironside. Now, that's Michael Ironside, not Ironside, the wheelchair-bound detective. Thanks for clearing that up. Yep, definitely. Just blasting through a couple more of these. Kean O'Brien got in touch to say, thanks to being an essential worker, I'll be missing the Strong Violent PC 100th episode live stream. Cheers, Tesco. Kean, firstly, amazing that you're still at work. Essential workers deserve all the love in the world right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Raise of the glass there. Yep, um, but funnier than that is that Kean then got back in touch to say, thanks to the miracle of roster fuck-ups, I recant my earlier statement and I will be on board. Hooray! What a roller coaster! <laughs> Great to see that the incompetence of Tesco led to you being able to join us for this. Yeah! <laughs> Chan at Herbehor was excited <laughs> to tune into the episode uh, and did, and provided some excellent commentary, I have to say. Yes, I, she did indeed. She did indeed. Uh, moving away from the live show, do you have a couple of people getting in touch to talk about Zombievers? <laughs> cool, I don't have any Zombievers chat, so fire away. 
Um, yeah, a couple of weeks back, an Andy versus Mitch episode, I chose Zombievers, which I'm not going to say went over well with everybody, but a few people getting in touch, kind of on other sides of the argument. Uh, Ross McIntyre, saying underscore man, Zombievers for me was not great, but I can see the appeal <laughs> and why it might be good for some, as it's just harmless fun. In a group situation with maybe some alcohol thrown in, I could have come out of this feeling different. So maybe after shutdown's over, I'll watch it with booze and mates. I did enjoy the effects, which I thought were reminiscent of other such films, such as Brain Dead. Fair shout. I think the practical is really fun in this. Staying with Zombievers, Alison Garcia on Twitter. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of feedback we need more of. Beavers are incredible creatures. They are the official animal of Canada and appear on the Canadian nickel. Sequel pitch. Zombievers take vengeance on fur traders in 1600s colonial Canada in Zombievers <laughs> 2 Canuck Chuck Wood. <laughs> I like that, yeah, I like that. Just a little congratulations coming in from Sheridan Not at Notsy, just congratulating us on the 100 episodes. Thank you, Sheridan, and thanks for sticking with us. Yes, thank you very much. He's been in since very early on, Sheridan. Yeah. I want to say hello to our pal film fan Stevie, getting in touch on Twitter. Started to watch a film called Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny on Amazon Prime. It's totally bonkers and I need to watch the end of it. A film that Strong Violent PC should experience at some point down the line. We cursory Google on this one. It's a family film from 1972. Um, Yeah, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. The shots from this look absolutely insane. (laughs) Go on. I'm going to, like, I mean, just just Google it, guys. Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. I, I, I mean, Stevie. You've piqued my curiosity here. We might have to do this. We might have to do this. If there's any amount of peril, if there are any strong language or violent scenes in it, it's in. 1.3 out of 10. I mean, that's that's really bad. That's mighty low. That's like reserved for the real shite of the pile, isn't it? Yeah, that's Manos in the hands of fate bad. Mm-hmm, Stevie, look what you've done. I'm going to have to watch some more crap. <laughs> You got anything else before we move on? Couple of things. Uh, Scuba Monkey at I Am Scuba Monkey, a new person, I believe, mm-hmm. reaching out to say, should I be getting in on this strong, violent PC business as a chef horror fest? Well, that's celluloid screams regular. I feel I'm starting to miss out. We were lucky enough to have a bunch of people leap on this and support us and suggest that, yes, indeed, Scuba Monkey gets in touch and has a wee listen to what it is that we do. Absolutely. Scoob, hope you tuned in. Have <laughs> you got anything else? Uh, I'm pretty much done, I think. I've got one other thing I just wanted to touch on. I just wanted to say a massive thanks to semi-pro geek Andrew Marshall, who took the time kind of just round about the start of this whole quarantine fiasco kicking off to Skype in with me and Mitch and just have a little chat with us about what it is that we do and how we got started and just really have a little chat with us about the show and that uh, turned up on Starburst Magazine's website on Friday. Yeah, um, and amongst all the excitement about the prep for the live show, it might have gotten lost in the mix for some people, but we did share it and we'll be sharing it again. And uh, yeah, we did really appreciate that. Thanks very much to Andrew and the team over at Starburst for giving us a little bit of airspace and giving us a little window to talk about what we do. Very much appreciate it. It's excellent and nice to be back in Starburst. The last time it was as a filmmaker and now this is a podcaster this is yeah it's lovely thank you very cool indeed so i think that's just about it from the feedback but i'm just realizing i forgot something earlier oh mitch goes back to the 90s fucking amateur hour here mitch i know imagine both of us forgetting that and i shouldn't forget it as well because i went back to the 90s again and again utilized the arrow video channel to do that Mm -hmm. and i know that i said i was going to try and get a little bit of variety going i kind of went back on my word there Okay, what did you watch this week? I watched Der Todd's King. Okay, okay, wow. So in the past couple of weeks you've watched Shram and now Der Todd's King. Uh, okay, what did you make of that? 
Yeah, so um, more Jörg Biggerite stuff. So again, as regular listeners will know, not the kind of stuff that I generally gravitate towards when left to my own devices. But uh, Shram piqued my curiosity, and I did see it there on the Arrow channel, and I thought, you know what? My reasoning was this, right? It's a, it's a, it's a pretty short film. It's like just mm-hmm. over an hour, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I was like, right, okay, you know what? I was pretty into Shram. I've heard people talk about this. If it isn't good, or if I don't like it, at least it'll be over soon. <laughs> sure. And uh, as it turns out, I actually th- I thought it was great. Like, if anything, I preferred it to uh, Shram. I thought it was I thought it was great. Very, very oblique, very kind of strange narrative structure, all that kind of thing. If it has mm-hmm. one really at all, outside of the very, very superficial. But I thought all the segments functioned really pretty nicely. I really like the fact that a lot of them uh, had very different storytelling devices and very different tones and things. Obviously, predominantly really fucking unpleasant. <laughs> but different brands of that. The final one in particular um, is one of the more disturbing things I've seen in anything for a while. The one with the guy on his own in his bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, this, that was absolutely horrible. Incredible, performance-wise, I thought. Yeah. Like is a weird word, but I really did this. Is this kind of making you question your thoughts on kind of shot on 16mm stuff and extreme cinema? I mean, potentially. Like, I'm probably not going to make a massive fanfare about watching a whole load of this stuff on here because it's not the most lol-worthy stuff at the best of times, but could definitely see myself watching some more. Right, now let me ask you this mm-hmm. that's two Jörg Buttgreit films in the past couple of weeks yeah are you going to go and watch Necromantic I may go and watch Necromantic although it won't be this week I'm going to go and take my uh, I'm going to take my 90s side quest elsewhere probably into slightly more commercial territory <laughs> uh, this week <laughs> okay that's however fun. for the time being yeah it is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches, for those who don't know, is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. It'll be up to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and give it both a title and a synopsis. We do, of course, also share these on social media so you guys can join in and see if you can pitch better than me, which generally you do. This past week, we had Blood Rage. If I remember we correctly. Did, yeah, or blood rage, as I called it. <laughs> because there will be blood and rage, as I recall. <laughs> Reappropriated by me as Strangler Dangler. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, a few people getting in touch on this one. Uniformly really good, again, I have to say. Can I just quickly say that, actually, we did one of these during the live show on Friday. Um, we're right at the point where we were beginning I uploaded to Twitter and Instagram and it seemed to work quite well and what I'm thinking just now Mitch is for next week we kind of do a mix of pitches received for the live show image and the one that we're about to get to for me yeah. and you Could do. that sound Could do. okay? Yeah, definitely. Uh, for now, though, this week's ones. Alexis, getting in touch. Cosmic Ray Girl on Twitter. Tune in for this remake of Sleepaway Camp. It's 1992's Camp Tuckaho, and it's three sequels: Unhappy Tuckers, Teenage Tuckers, and Return to the Tuck. <laughs> sure. Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter. Martha went where the rubber meets the road after her turbulent relationship ends. Every time she seems to be making friends, they are brutally butchered. Is her vengeful ex on her tail looking for a last kiss or perhaps forty-five seconds of ecstasy? It's 1995's Welcome to the Neighborhood. <laughs> Okay. Kinell Kolak on Twitter. Erotic Sonic the Hedgehog fan fiction author and webcam performer Lewis Carmen Denominator. <laughs> That's very good. Superb, isn't it? Finds a weekend woodland getaway with her buxom pals, rudely interrupted by a murderous TV survivalist in Bear <laughs> Kills, born survivor. <laughs> 
It's kills inevitably spelled K Y double L S. Sure, I, I expected nothing less. Uh, Kevin Matthews on Facebook. When mad scientist Dr. Yellowcoat and his glamorous assistant Steph O'Scope get things horribly wrong in the <laughs> midst of their latest experiment, the doc becomes an oversized slasher while Steph is shrunk down to the size of a contented long tailed chinchilla. None other than Vincent Price and Glynis Barber star in the horror madness that is Scream as You Go Teeny Weeny, Yellowcoat Will Make You Screamy. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Enjoying that plenty. And finally, Tony Constantinou digging deep on the early noughties references here as the sinister supermoon rises on the cursed backwater town of Smuggler's Queef. The unrelenting <laughs> waft of rotten cabbage and weak old mints signifies the foretold return of publicly executed knife-wielding hobo sex pest Copernicus Crunch, who's out for <laughs> stanky softcore revenant revenge in director Roger Beefclap's sexcrabble 1993 Candyman ripoff Stinkubus. Goodbye, knives to know you. <laughs> The first and potentially only Incubus joke that we'll get on the show. I think so, it's got to be. It's definitely the first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay, um, but best character names. Uh, that's an absolute lock for Canel this week. That's uh, lowest Carmen denominator. That's brilliant. Yep, yep, yep. That's absolutely. That's one of the best ones we've had potentially ever. Yeah, and uh, yeah, best pitch to... Do you know what? I'm going to give it to Kevin for the word play. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. I've got no problem with all of that. Got to say, you guys were absolutely on it this week. Really, really good. <laughs> in my eyes and in my heart, you're all winners. But in a more accurate way, the winners are Kinell and Kevin. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, Rab's on the way. Rab is on route. So, moving swiftly on then to uh, this week's pitch image... Here it comes, over I'm going to say you got something for me? Yeah, of course. It should be with you now. Oh, 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 oh. It's alive. You can see much that I'm keeping the theme going from the episode that we did on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the border of this image is very, very dark green or dark blue. <laughs> okay. The tableau, the main tableau, is a campsite, it looks like, in the woods, potentially by a kind of river or fjord or small body of water. Fjord? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, we have a campfire of a tent. We have kind of just what looks like kind of just like generic camping equipment, potentially a small stove or hot plate that are all kind of in this clearing. <laughs> Uh, beside the woods and the water is uh, trickling lazily through some rocks in the foreground of the image kind of we have a couple looks like a man and a woman can't really see what either of them are wearing to be honest apart from the fact that the woman looks like she's wearing shorts uh, the guy looks kind jorts. of fully clothed, potentially jorts yeah they're fleeing the campsite by the looks of it she looks in a state of some distress certainly looks quite bug-eyed from here and uh, he's looking over his shoulder in the kind of background if you like there is a very large hand holding a small blade <laughs> And a pair of eyes, kind of above this image, looking very menacing, kind of furrowed brow. Eyes look kind of dark blue or grey, and there are tree branches from the general kind of main image covering his mouth in a way that kind of makes him look like a ninja or like scorpion at Mortal Kombat. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see why you would why you would go there. Yeah, sure. So there you go. Um, a heteronormative couple flees campsite as dagger-wielding forest ninja looks on. I've got to be honest, Mitch, some of the description of the scenery there just took me right back to the joy of painting. With Bob Ross? Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah, there is there is a happy little camping stove there. Yeah, but a babbling little fjord yep. flowing lazily through the rocks. Just going to put that happy little hot plate there, that's our little secret. <laughs> and Mitch, crucially, no matter what answer you give me, there's no mistakes. Of course not, of course not. Well, we'll see about that. Give me a minute. <laughs> Thank you. 
Camping. Mitch, let me talk yes. to you about camping. What's your <laughs> thoughts on camping? I'm going to surprise you here, Andy. Not a great favourite activity of mine. <laughs> no, I hate it. <laughs> uh, yes, I think it's terrible. I have done it at festivals a couple of times and mm-hmm. um, a couple of other times as well. I have never had a particularly great time with it or certainly never for any reason that I couldn't have replicated at home. I don't like temperature. <laughs> of what? Conceptually? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like being too cold. I don't like being too hot. When you go to sleep in the tent, it's too cold. When you wake up, it's too hot. I'm not a big fan of bugs. I'm not really a fan of badly barbecued food. Camping's just not for me, to be honest. I'd be inclined to say that that's probably true for me as well, and I would say also probably true for the protagonist of this pitch. (laughs) Excellent, and so I'm guessing from that that it's ready. It is ready. Okay, fire away. In a desperate and poorly advised attempt to inject some much-needed vigour into their ailing relationship, waspy suburban couple Dawn and Karen Dustbuster head to the woods for a romantic camping trip to unplug from their smartphones and spend some much-needed quality time together. Things seem to be going well, but with their phones on airplane mode, what they don't know is that their hometown of Little Prudish is beset by a pack of murderous siblings. The culprits? The Schmidt dynasty. A ruthless family made up of brutally proficient ninjas, with countless residents slaughtered in their homes by the brothers and their terrifying, confounding blend of machetes, throwing stars, firearms, and flamboyant, dance-orientated mixed martial arts. Will Don and Karen find out the truth in time to protect themselves, or will these newlyweds soon be newly deads? Find out in 1993's kitchen sink disaster piece, Beware Schmidt's in the Woods, Beats, Shoots, and Cleaves. Right, okay. You sound disappointed. I'm a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What year did you say? 93. 93? Wow, okay, no. The year is 1982. (laughs) Swinging a little wild there, am I? Just a little bit. And the film is The Forest. The Forest, eh? Okay, tell me more. Uh, This is coming in from IMDB contributor Shelley. Okay. Deep in the forest, something sinister is lurking. But danger is the furthest thing from Steve's mind when he suggests to his friend Charlie and their wives, Sharon and Teddy, that they go on a camping trip. The camping party turns into a night of terror as one by one the campers are killed to satisfy the cannibal family living hidden in the depths of the forest. Oh my. Sharon escapes. But can she get out of the forest before she too is captured, murdered, and eaten? That's it. Amazing. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask? Any good? Don't know. Cool, okay. Uh, anybody out there knows? Let us know. <laughs> 3.8 out of 10. Okay. And so, well, it's certainly better than Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, then. <laughs> that concludes Mitch's pitches for this week. That image is everywhere. Get pitching. You'll almost certainly be able to do one better than mine. I would be amazed if you can't. Um, moving swiftly on, though, to the streaming platforms for this week. <laughs> Decent amount of stuff. Okay. Um, on Netflix, Netflix kind of thin on the ground this week, but on uh, Friday the 8th, if kind of dark comedy is your thing, you've got series two of Dead to Me. Right, don't know what this is. Okay, Jen and Judy are not okay, not even a little. With their lives spinning out of control, they're clinging to each other and their secrets. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit, man, gotta tell you. Amazon Prime, Monday the 4th, that is today, if you're listening on air date. American Psycho lands uh, from 2000, of course. Mary Harron's adaptation from the Bret Easton Ellis novel starring Christian Bale, Jared Leto and Chloe Savini. Patrick Bateman, a wealthy investment banker, hides his psychopathic ego from his friends. Later, his illogical fantasies escalate and he submits to an uncontrollable bloodlust. I'm assuming most of you have seen this. In the unlikely event that you haven't yet watched, it's great. Yeah, 
is. Cool one for us on Thursday on Sky Cinema, Thursday the 7th. We've got uh, Staten Cousins Row, who you may remember from our Children of the Corn episode. Uh, his <laughs> film, A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, is landing. So that's a self-help addict takes a road trip with a life coach who happens to be a deranged serial killer. So that's there. Yep. And turn our attentions to Shudder. A whole load of stuff here, actually. Uh, on Monday the 4th, we have Demonic from 2015. Uh, James right. One produced one. Um, a psychologist and a police officer investigate the deaths of five people who were killed while trying to summon ghosts. This isn't bad. Pretty formulaic, if I remember rightly. Uh, I don't think I've seen this. No, it's out there from today if you want to check it out. Also, heading back to 1974 with Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Yes. <laughs> Debonair supernatural expert Captain Kronos and his hunchbacked assistant Gross to meet their match when they encounter a village where vampires have been stealing the vitality of young women, leaving them elderly and decrepit. Armed with his sword and formidable deductive reasoning, because as the old saying goes, deductive reasoning is mightier than the sword, Kronos begins to solve the macabre mystery, with evidence pointing to the aristocratic Lady Durward and her family as prime suspects. Also on Monday, one of my favourites from the Shockwaves 100, landing on Shudder, 1982, Tenebrae. Oh, okay. Visiting Rome on a promotional tour for his new novel, writer Peter Neal is pulled into a murder mystery as someone familiar with his work begins a series of killings. While the police look into the crimes, Neil investigates on his own, aided by his beautiful assistant Anne and a tenacious young local named Gianni. Yeah, brilliant. Thursday, 7th, we have got uh, Z, a 2020 film directed by Brandon Christensen. Don't know too much about this, but um, the synopsis simply, a young family are terrorised by their son's ominous imaginary friend. This one's kind of piquing my curiosity a little bit, and I'll tell you why. This one's scariest film at Popcorn Frights this year, and also won the Audience Award at the Cagliari Film Festival. Okie dokie. So this one coming to shut on the heels of a little bit of us. For this week, though, for a pick, I'm going to head back to Sky Cinema and point you in the direction of Stanton's film, A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. Yep, I'm going to agree with that, and then I'm going to back it up by saying, if that doesn't float your boat, go and watch Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Why the hell not? A massive, massive range of stuff across the platforms uh, this week. Lots and lots of really good stuff. So turn our attentions to this week's show as Century Number 2 begins for us. Yeah, yeah, wow. And we are kicking off Century Number 2 with a repeat guest, a returning guest. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to this one, to be honest. Yeah, now, I say returning guest, she got in right on the ground floor. 87 episodes ago? 87 episodes later, Imitation Girl and Lucky director Natasha Kermani returns. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, and it's very on brand for the kind of thing that Natasha's done previously. Natasha last time on the show did Johnny Mnemonic. This time mm-hmm. taking us back to 2005 for Karen Kusama's Aeon Flux. Aeon Flux. Now, this is a really, really interesting one. You guys seen it? You guys going to check it out? Get in touch. Let us know what you think of this because we've got Natasha, Natasha Kermani, joining us to talk Aeon Flux. If you want to get in touch and let us know what you make of this as a decision for episode 101, <laughs> there's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and you can email scenes at gmail.com. And I just want to say that this is a really, really fun conversation. Really looking forward to you guys getting the chance to check it out. Yep. Strongviolentpod.com. Yep. That's still a thing as well. <laughs> we are back this Friday. It's episode 101. Imitation Girl and Lucky director Natasha Kermani returns to the show to talk Aeon Flux. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.